our kiddos in worship here on this fifth Sunday, and uh, so glad that you have joined us. And uh, as you've heard, Acts 2, 1 through 39 is our text, and uh, we can't get through every single verse, uh, but we're going to do our best. And um, this text, Acts 2, 1 through 39, has been interpreted in many, many different ways over the years. In fact, several denominations kind of look to what is in this text, and uh, it is kind of their, their foundation. You know, some, some denominations would say that you're not saved unless you speak in tongues, and they use Acts 2, 1 through 39, as sort of their evidence to do that. Um, and there are several other variations and interpretations all the way in between when it comes to Acts 2. So it's important for us to uh, really dig in and, uh, and figure out what, what is going on here in Acts chapter 2. I wonder, have you ever heard um, like a rumor about yourself and been like, where did that come from? You know, you, you heard, you know, somebody's been talking, you know, there's this rumor going on about you and then somebody says, hey, somebody said this and you're like, what the, where did, like, where did that come from? What are you talking about? Um, you know, and this can get kind of dangerous whenever somebody hears something about you and then they start treating you differently because of something that they've heard. You know, for example, somebody says, hey, Alec really smells bad. You know, people are like, I mean, that, I don't know, that's, that's sort of weird. And then everybody starts talking, hey, I heard this thing that Alec, he, he kind of smells bad. And then all of a sudden, people are like keeping their distance, and it's not just because of COVID. It's like, no, he, they think he smells bad, like, like they're staying away. Uh, they don't want anything to do with him because of this rumor that happened, you know? And, all, and, and it's not true. These things aren't true at all. And sometimes, I think what might happen uh, when it comes to the Holy Spirit, we maybe have heard some things about him uh, and we maybe think some things about him that might not totally be true, and therefore we don't uh, engage with the Holy Spirit, who is God, uh, as we should, or maybe we believe some incorrect things about him. And so what I want to do today is take Acts chapter 2, 1 through 39, and, uh, and, and I want us to look specifically at the Holy Spirit. And I want us to uncover um, who he is and what he does, but also maybe uh, who he isn't and what he doesn't do, okay? So I want to look specifically at uh, the Holy Spirit and what he is doing here on this day of Pentecost. And I'm going to try and stick to this text, uh, because if we looked at, uh, if we really got out into other scriptures, then we'd be here for hours, and uh, I would be the only one who enjoys that, okay? So the point of the sermon, the point of the sermon is this, God the Holy Spirit indwells believers and empowers us to live the Christian life, okay? So if, you, if we were just going to take like a snapshot of Acts chapter 2 and what we see of the Holy Spirit and what we know of the Holy Spirit, this is what we see. God the Holy Spirit indwells, meaning he lives in believers, and he empowers us to live the Christian life, all right? That's pretty broad, uh, and that's the big takeaway from Acts chapter 2, but I want to get more specific as we go, okay? So let's get more specific. Who is the Holy Spirit? Now, for centuries, there are these things that Christians have affirmed and have um, confessed together that are the historic, what we call creeds and confessions of the church, 
All right. And uh, these begin, you might have heard of something like the Apostles' Creed, uh, that is sort of a, a summation. Uh, people have taken what the Bible teaches and they've kind of condensed it down into a, what's called a creed or a confession of faith. And for centuries and centuries now, Christians have had these things that are um, accurate uh, when it comes to what the Bible teaches and kind of gives us a succinct teaching of what Christians believe. Right? So these are good things, by the way. Some people say, no creed but the Bible, and, uh, which in and of itself is a creed, which is kind of funny. And uh, so what we want to do is when we look at statements of faith, when we look at the historic creeds and confessions of the faith, like the Apostles' Creed and another one that we're going to look at in just a moment, what we want to say is, does it reflect what the Bible teaches? If so, then it is good and it is useful for us. All right. So um, there are these historic creeds and confessions of the faith, and uh, one, the first one that really deals with the Holy Spirit is one called the Nicene Creed, okay? And I know we're digging deep today, but I want you to go with me because this stuff is very important, okay? So the Nicene Creed was one of the first to give us a robust confession of the Holy Spirit, and I want you to see it. I believe it's going to be on the screens as well. Here's what the, whole, the Nicene Creed confesses about the Holy Spirit. It says this, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life who proceeds from the Father and the Son, and who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. Okay. So this is what we see that the church has taught and believed about the Holy Spirit for centuries and centuries. And in reality, it's this, that the Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is God. Now, we're going we're gonna to dive into this more. He is the third person of the Trinity. And he is the spirit of the Father and the spirit of the Son. And he proceeds from or is spirated from the Father and the Son. So he is the spirit of the Father and the Son. And we see this in our text today. Jesus said in Acts 1-4 that the Holy Spirit was the promise of the Father. And then in chapter 2, verses 1-3, through 3, we see that as the Spirit is being sent... Here you go. Let's read it again. Chapter 2, 1 through 3. When the day of Pentecost arrived, Pentecost, just so you know, it was a, a festival for the Jews that happened 50 days after the Passover. So this was another time for the Jews to gather to give thanks uh, to God, and it became uh, later as a celebration of the giving of the law. So this is a, a big deal for the Jews. They're gathered together on Pentecost, and it says, they were all together in one place, and suddenly... There came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. All right. So um, if, you, if, we, if we looked back, uh, what we see, this is teaching us the Holy Spirit is God. Ezekiel saw visions of uh, the glory of the Lord, and, and there was wind and there was fire. And you know that fire throughout the Old Testament, starting with the burning bush, and then on uh, with Moses, and then on through as, as uh, Israel was led at, through, through fire, we know that fire represents the presence of God. So, here in, at Pentecost, when uh, the mighty rushing wind comes, and when uh, the as of fire um, descends, this is teaching us that this is the very presence of God coming down. The very presence of God is coming down. This is teaching us that the Holy Spirit is God. He is God. Clearly, the Holy Spirit is sent. 
And we are supposed to understand that this is God himself. The very presence of God is being poured out on these first disciples. They are being indwelt with, they are being filled with, once and for all, the Holy Spirit, God himself. This is important for us to to nail down, okay? It's important for us to understand and be grounded in this truth. This is, the Holy Spirit is God. And our God is Trinity, okay? Our God is Trinity. Now, what what does that mean? Uh, Okay. God exists as three persons in one being. He exists as three persons, one being. Three who's, one what. Three persons, one being. Our God is Trinity, all right? Now, there's another uh, historic creed that I'm going to read to you, and this is the last one, okay? Uh, This is from the Athanasian Creed, and it says this. I believe this is going to be on the screen as well. It says this. This is the universal faith. That we worship one God in Trinity and the Trinity in unity, neither confounding their persons nor dividing the essence. Okay? For the person of the Father is a distinct person, the person of the Son is another, and that of the Holy Spirit is still another. But the divinity of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit is one, the glory equal, the majesty co-eternal, such as the Father is, such as the Son is, and such as the Holy Spirit. So in everything, as was said earlier, the unity in Trinity and the Trinity in unity is to be worshipped. Anyone who then desires to be saved should think thus about the Trinity. The Holy Spirit is God. He is um, one person, the third person of the Trinity. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And what we see here in Acts chapter 2 is the Holy Spirit, God himself, is being sent to dwell in believers. Now, who or what isn't the Holy Spirit. Who is the Holy Spirit not? Well, the Holy Spirit is a who and not a what. He is a personal being. He is not a force. He is not a force. Um, He's a personal being. Sometimes we act like the Holy Spirit is a force. Like uh, sometimes, you know, like in Star Wars, like the force, we see somebody like lifting their hands in worship. We're like, the force is strong with this one. They must be really especially uh, filled with the Holy Spirit today because they've lifted their hands in worship, you know. Uh, we think that the, that the force is strong with that one. And that's not really what we see happening here. He, he, the Holy Spirit is not a, a force, right? This is uh, incorrect. He is a person. Now, the Holy Spirit does not have a body, uh, but he is not a force, right? And he's also not a fuel that we can run out of. He's not a fuel that we can run out of, um, now, verse 4 says that they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. When we think of filling, uh, we might think like gas in our car, you know, like it can be one-fourth full uh, or it can be all the way full. Except when we think about this, uh, when it comes to the Holy Spirit, who is a person, can you really only be like one-quarter of the way full of a person? Right? That doesn't really make sense. What we see happening here is um, that the Holy Spirit indwells believers. We have him 100%. We have the very presence of God, God himself, true God of true God, dwelling within us. It is not as if we only have one-fourth of the Holy Spirit. He gives himself in full measure. Now, what we see uh, in verse 4, what this is describing, is that at times uh, we can be especially... um, filled with the Holy Spirit for a specific purpose or for a specific service, 
Okay? So, how this works out in my life, personally, and this should be true of you as well. I am, um, when I first came to trust in Jesus alone to save, when I repented of my sin, and when I followed up uh, in, in baptism, all this moment that we call my salvation event, in those moments, I was then filled with the Holy Spirit 100%. I have the very personal presence of God dwelling within me, and there is nothing that can happen that can separate that, uh, that can take away the Holy Spirit from dwelling within me. I have the personal presence of God dwelling within me because of my faith in Jesus, and there's nothing that can separate me from the presence of God. That is true. Um, And what is also true of me is that at certain times, and I hope this is true, at certain times I am... um, what we, what we term as especially filled with the Spirit uh, for specific moments of service and ministry. So I pray, and we pray this morning, that I would be filled with the Holy Spirit as I preached this morning. And I pray that I would be particularly filled with the Spirit whenever I uh, witness to my neighbors. And I pray that I would be filled with the Spirit for these specific uh, ministry events in my life. And the same is true for you. If you trust in Jesus alone to save this morning, you are filled with the Holy Spirit 100%. And we pray that we would be filled with the Spirit, that God would make His presence even more uh, known and felt and real to us in these moments when we need Him to show up for these ministry things that He has called us to. In the moments when we are sharing uh, the good news of Jesus with somebody, when we're sharing the gospel, evangelizing, witnessing, all the same thing. Um, th- these are the moments that we need an, uh, the filling of the Holy Spirit. Okay? It is not that he's not there. It is that we need his presence to be felt and known in a more real and tangible way. And both of these things are what's happening with the disciples right now. They are filled with the Holy Spirit uh, as he is coming to dwell in believers for the first time. And then they are also filled in a unique way, and they begin to speak in tongues that are heard um, by the other people that are gathered there today, okay? So, he is not a fuel that we can run out of. He is a, a person that indwells us and is, um, that we are filled with, okay? So, the Holy Spirit, he's not like coffee uh, that we drink to get us through the morning, you know? Now, I need that. I need it big time. Sometimes it feels like, the, you know, the, the, that coffee when it, the caffeine finally hits, you're like, oh yeah, that's right, I'm ready to go now. Uh, that, that is not like the Holy Spirit. He's not like coffee to be consumed. He is more of a person to be known and loved. Okay? So we have um, communion with God through the Holy Spirit. He is a person to be known and to be loved. Okay? Now, how do we know and how do we love a person? How do, we, how do we have communion? How do we have intimacy with a person? How do we do this? Well, we um, get to know them, and we learn about them. And so that's what we must do with the Holy Spirit then. So the Holy Spirit is God. He indwells believers once and for all. Um, he dwells within us, and He empowers us for specific ministry opportunities and specific things that He has called us to do. Okay. Now, This leads us to need to discuss what the Holy Spirit does. How do we know Him? How do we love Him? Well, if we understand what He does, and um, that that will help us then know Him and love Him more and have intimacy with Him, okay? So, the first thing we see that the Holy Spirit does is that the Holy Spirit empowers us to witness for Jesus. 
You see this? The Holy Spirit empowers us to witness for Jesus. This is exactly what Jesus said was going to happen in Acts 1.8. If you remember last week, um, you will, Jesus says to the disciples before he ascends and is enthroned, he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That's, that's Acts 1.8, right? And what we see happening in Acts chapter 2 is exactly what Jesus said was going to happen. And this is exactly what happens with you and I today. We are filled with the Holy Spirit when we come to trust in Jesus to save, and then we are empowered by the Spirit to then go be His witnesses, to go tell others about what He has done. They begin speaking, as they are filled with the Spirit, they begin speaking in these uh, languages. And what we saw is that these are people, these are Jews that are gathered from all of these nations. And if we put it on a map, you would see that these are people that have gathered from all around Jerusalem. It would make a perfect circle about where all these people have come from. And this is demonstrating to us um, that the, the gospel is going to be a global reality. That it is going to begin in Jerusalem, it's going to go to Judea, and then it's going to go to Samaria, and then it's going to go to the ends of the earth. And these disciples... They start speaking in all of these languages of these different Jews. This is a, a miracle that is happening here. And they are, as verse 11 says, they are declaring the mighty works of God. So all these people are gathered from all these other nations, and they begin hearing the mighty works of God in their own language. This is a, a, a miracle that the Holy Spirit is bringing about here. Now, what this is not doing, what the Holy Spirit does not do, is guarantee that you will speak in tongues. Okay, this is not what this is teaching us. This is a, a once and for all reality, and we're going to talk about this, but this is not teaching that you must speak in tongues. We have to, we have to get this right, okay? Um, one commentator, F.F. Bruce, said this, the matter is more important than the manner, okay? The, the matter, the, the meat behind the message is more important than what is actually happening, okay? The, the, yeah, so the speaking in tongues is a miracle, but it's really about the mighty works of God that are being declared and that uh, people from all over the world are hearing the gospel. That's really what it's about. Um, or put another way, this is formation, not a formula. Okay? This is formation. This is a, a once and for all reality that is happening as the Holy Spirit is descending. Such that now you and I, when we come to Jesus, we are indwelt with the Holy Spirit. And we don't have to have an Acts 2 experience. We don't have to speak in tongues in order to prove that we are saved. Um, this is a once and for all reality. The coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost was a once for all time event. And so these disciples kind of stood at a hinge point in history. They, they are the ones that first received the Holy Spirit. They, they are sort of at this hinge point in salvation history. So this is um, what we might call as formative, not normative. This is the birthplace of the church. This is the birthplace of the age of the Spirit, where the Spirit is now going to indwell believers. This is the birthplace. This is the, the I heard uh, Pastor Jarrett say earlier, this is, the, this is the labor and delivery room of the church, is what's happening right here at Pentecost. This is not something that we, sh it shouldn't, uh, we expect it to be normative. We shouldn't expect an Acts 2 experience, you know, over and over and over again, because this is a once and for all reality, the Spirit being poured out on uh, the church once for all, okay? So, um, this is important for us to, to uh, get right. John Stott said this, Pentecost was the final act of the saving ministry of Jesus, 
Jesus sent his spirit to his people to constitute them as his body and to work out in them what he won for them. In this sense, the day of Pentecost is unrepeatable. Pentecost was the inauguration of the new era of the church. Although his coming was a unique and unrepeatable historical event, all the people of God now can always and everywhere benefit from his ministry. This is a once and for all reality, such that now anybody who comes to faith in Jesus is indwelt with the Holy Spirit, God himself dwelling within us. So what we see here, the first disciples are filled with the Spirit, And they were filled, like I said earlier, in two ways. They were filled in a once-for-all way, uh, but secondly, they were filled um, for a specific purpose uh, to carry out this specific ministry of them speaking in other languages so that the people gathered from all over the world would hear what God had done in their own language. So we must take away from this speaking in tongues event that the Holy Spirit is doing what Jesus said he would do. He is empowering disciples to be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. This is happening as they are speaking in tongues, and those gathered are hearing in their own language. It is a miracle brought about by the Holy Spirit. The mighty works of God that were being declared then are still the mighty works of God that you and I are to declare today. So we see a a point of overlap here for us. These disciples begin declaring the mighty works of God, and these are the mighty works of God that you and I are to continue to declare, and that will be declared every time we gather together, and they're the mighty works that are to be declared by you and your neighborhoods. That is this, that God sent his son Jesus to live a perfectly obedient life that we could never live. That this Jesus died a terrible death on a cross to pay the penalty that we owe for sin. And this Jesus rose from the dead, proving he has the ability to forgive sin and to save us. And this Jesus then ascended into heaven as now enthroned as Lord of lords and King of kings. And he will return one day to judge the living and the dead. And any who would trust in him to save would be spared from this judgment. And they would have eternal life and abundant life now. These are the mighty works of God, and all these miraculous works that God has done throughout the Old Testament, they all point to Jesus and what he has done. It is only by the Holy Spirit that we would be empowered to declare these things, to speak these truths. It is the power of the Holy Spirit within us that empowers us to share this good news. So we tell others about what God has done for us in Christ, and we are empowered by the Holy Spirit to do it. The Holy Spirit is the one that empowers us to live the Christian life and to share the good news. All right. Another aspect that we see the Holy Spirit uh, doing, another thing that the Holy Spirit does, is that he brings unity. The Holy Spirit brings unity. And we see this from all the different types of people that were gathered there to hear um, the, the mighty works of God being declared. There are people, again, from all these different nations. I didn't make, uh, I didn't make B read them, uh, but there are a lot of, a lot of names to, to be read from all kinds of nations and all kinds of peoples that were gathered there uh, to, to hear what God had done. And this is showing that God brings about a supernatural unity. The Holy Spirit brings unity. Right? And this is a miracle. Um, It's a huge list of nations, and all of them now are believing and hearing the same message about what God has done to save sinners through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Many 
have pointed back to this as a reversal of the Tower of Babel. You know this story in Genesis where the humans, uh, they build a tower because they are so prideful, they think that they can be their own gods, and God instead scatters them and, and gives them all these different languages. And now this is a reversal of the Tower of Babel where people um, come in humility admitting that they cannot save themselves, they need Jesus to save, and there the Holy Spirit brings about a supernatural unity. This signals to us that Christianity is going to be a global movement. The people who heard this initially were Jews gathered for Pentecost from all of these nations around. And then later on, the Holy Spirit would descend on these uh, non-Jewish Gentiles. And that they would um, then also be filled with the Spirit. And then the message of the gospel would spread throughout the earth. Christianity is a global movement. It is not a middle-class American movement. You know? It is not just for old people. It's not just for young people. It's not just for black people, white people, different skin range colors. It's not who it's for. Christianity is for everybody. And the Holy Spirit brings about a supernatural unity. It would be sad if everybody in our church had the same skin color. It would be sad. And it would be sad if everybody in our church uh, was in the same tax bracket. It, it, it would show that maybe the Holy Spirit isn't at work in the way that he was in Acts, if we all looked the exact same way, talked the same way, uh, believed all of the same things when it, when it comes to wh- whatever you want to believe in. Right? The Holy Spirit brings about a supernatural unity around the truths of what Jesus has done, which means that um, we're going to look different. And this is a good thing. It's a beautiful reality that the kingdom of God, um, what Jesus has done is a global reality that brings people from all different backgrounds together, united under one thing, Jesus is Lord. And I want that to always be true for our church. Okay, another aspect of what the Holy Spirit does is that he always points us to Jesus. The Holy Spirit always points us to Jesus. And we're going to kind of start to put a fine point on it here and wrap up, but the Holy Spirit always points us to Jesus. And I see this in the fact that after the Holy Spirit comes to indwell believers, the first thing that happens is that Peter gets up and testifies about what Jesus has done. Again, we're not going to go through this sermon, but that's what it's all about. It's all about what Jesus has done. So the Holy Spirit comes, and the first thing that happens is the disciples say, Jesus, look what Jesus has done. He is Lord. He is God. Trust in him to save. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He points us to Jesus. Um, And pointing us to Jesus is exactly what Jesus said the Holy Spirit was going to do. Look back at John 14, 26. Jesus said this, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So Jesus is saying, the Holy Spirit's going to come, and he's going to bring to your remembrance what I have done, Jesus speaking. John 16, 13 through 14, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So Jesus is saying, of the Holy Spirit, he's saying, the Holy Spirit is going to glorify me. That's what Jesus says. 
So the role, the job of the Holy Spirit is to always be pointing us back to Jesus, to be reminding us of what Jesus has done for us. That's the role of the Holy Spirit. The role of the Holy Spirit, His job, if you you will, is to make a big deal about Jesus. That's what the job of the Holy Spirit is, to point us, to remind us, to say, look at what Jesus has done. That's what the Holy Spirit does in our lives. Now, this is how your salvation was won. This is how you are saved. We might say it like this, the Father planned it, the Son executed it, and the Holy Spirit applied it. The Father Father planned your salvation, the Son bought it or executed it, and the Spirit applied it. He made it real. Your salvation is Trinitarian, so we worship the Trinity in unity and the unity of the Father, Son, and Spirit. Your salvation is Trinitarian from start to finish. It is the work of the Spirit to apply the work of Jesus to our hearts and then to continually throughout our Christian life to remind us about what Jesus has done for us. Every morning when we um, wake up and we realize that His mercies are new every morning, that's the Holy Spirit reminding us about what Jesus has done for us on the cross. When we feel like we want to beat ourselves up and can't believe that we fell into that sin again, it is the work of the Holy Spirit to say, no, 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 Jesus paid for your sin once and for all on the cross. That's the work of the Holy Spirit, to remind us always of what Jesus has done for us, paying for our sin, pointing us always to what Jesus has done. So we worship our triune God. And if you're ever tempted to think, or if anybody ever asked you, where's the Holy Spirit in your church service? Why isn't there more room for the Spirit? You know, what what is the Holy Spirit doing? Why is there no Spirit? Um, We would say, okay, yes and amen, we want more of the Spirit. We want more and more of the Spirit to be at work. We always want to be filled with the Spirit. But the Spirit is at work in our service as we sing songs about what Jesus has done. When we pray in Jesus' name and we preach sermons that proclaim and lift up the name of Jesus, that's all the Holy Spirit at work. Because that's what Jesus said the Holy Spirit would do, would remind us and point us always to Jesus. So the Holy Spirit is always at work in our services. Anytime we are mentioning Jesus and lifting him up, that's the Spirit at work. And oh yeah, the author of the Bible that we read and preach from is the Holy Spirit. So he is active in every word we speak of Scripture as well. So if you leave here today being convicted of sin, if you leave here assured of your forgiveness and your salvation in Christ, and if you leave here loving Jesus more, the Holy Spirit did all that. The last aspect of the work of the Holy Spirit that we'll discuss today is that he convicts of sin. The Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. And we see this in the response to Peter's sermon in verses 37 through 39. Remember, Peter gets up, he testifies to what Jesus has done. He says, look at what Jesus has done. He was crucified, buried, died, rose again. God has made him Lord and Messiah. He is our Savior. And then their response is this. When they heard this, they were cut to the heart. I think this is a way of describing conviction. They're cut to the heart. And they um, said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent. Change your mind and turn around. Believe differently. Repent. Turn away from your sin. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift 
of the Holy Spirit. So this receiving uh, of the Holy Spirit is what happens when we trust in Jesus to save for the first time. We are indwelt with the Holy Spirit. This is, this is what we um, normally think of as the Holy Spirit coming here. And after hearing about the life, death, and resurrection and enthronement of Jesus, him being Lord of Lords, King of Kings, they're cut to the heart and they want to know how to respond. Now, Peter in this sermon basically condemns the, those first Jewish listeners of saying, you crucified the Messiah. You did this, right? And, um, and then upon their repentance and, and uh, baptism, then they are to receive the Holy Spirit, right? Now, though we are not those original listeners, okay, um, our response should still be the same today when we hear about what Jesus has done. Because like the words of, uh, of the hymn, In Christ Alone, it says this, uh, it, was, it was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. And his dying breath has brought me life, and I know that it is finished. In some sense, Jesus went to the cross to pay for your sin. And he went to the cross to pay for my sin. So we must now look with our eyes of faith and see Jesus hanging on the cross for me and for you. He did it for me. The work that Jesus did on the cross, he did it for you. And what that should do is first cut us in the heart. We should be convicted that Jesus did that for me. Oh my goodness. And then what that should do is um, give us just a, a, a moment of realizing uh, all of the ways that we've sinned against him. All of the ways that we have not uh, lived in, in light of what Jesus has done for us. All the ways that we have sinned. And it should give us a moment to, to say, I'm, I'm sorry, Lord. And turn away from that and receive the grace and the love and the forgiveness that Jesus continually offers us. And that's what I want for us today. It should convict us. It should cut us to the heart. And if you have never repented and believed in what Jesus has done, if you've never done that ever, um, I pray that today would be the day that that would be true. That you would look with your eyes of faith upon Jesus on the cross and say, He did it for me. I trust and believe in Him. And you would um, cast yourself upon Him in faith. We hope you are encouraged and challenged by what you heard today. If you'd like more information about Champion Forest Baptist Church, our service times, or how you can get connected, visit us at championforest.org. Thanks so much. Have a great day, and God bless.